Morning, Glory, and evening, Grace America. It's Hugh Hewitt. It is the final radio hour of the week on this June the 26th, 2015. And we are talking with Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, in our most recent Hillsdale Dialogue about the fourth Lincoln-Douglas debate. And I don't know that we've ever had so timely uh, meshing of the headlines and the history, Dr. Larry Arn. What do you think? Gracious sakes. <laughs> Isn't it amazing what's going on in the country these days? It is, and, and, and I'm just going to open it by telling people they can get all the Hillsdale Dialogues, especially on the Lincoln-Douglas Debates 1, 2, and 3 over at HughForHillsdale.com. But Dr. Larry and I are now have been talking about slavery and about race in America because that's what Lincoln and Douglas debated for uh, seven epic contests in the summer of 1858, and we are at number four. So, Larry, uh, before we plunge into number four, your reaction to what is happening in the aftermath of the Charleston Massacre and the basically delegitimization of any symbol of the Confederacy, whether, for whatever reason, put forward, which I am generally applauding. I haven't seen any that I don't applaud yet, but I reserve the right to, to at some point, say this far and this no farther. But I'm glad it's happening. But what do you think about it? Well, it's, uh, uh, it's a different... Well, it, it's, so first of all, uh, at least most of it that I have seen, I applaud. I don't can't name anything right now. I don't. But it is worthwhile to remind ourselves that in the statesmanship of... Abraham Lincoln, he was looking for forgiveness to the maximum extent he could get it. And I come from the South, and uh, there are no slaveholders in my background. Uh, uh, I'm a mongrel, and so I'm from the families that competed with the people who owned the slaves. But, uh, and so a lot of people rallied to the Confederate flag who didn't rally for the purpose of slavery, but to defend their home ground. Robert E. Lee is one of them. And so anyway, that, so we should, we should be mindful of that. And we're so censorious now and so unwilling to forgive any error, past or present, that there's a danger of that becoming dangerous. Now, what was amazing in the aftermath of the slaughter by the domestic terrorists, and he was a racist and everyone denounced him rightly and early. In fact, I was on Face the Nation on Sunday and I said the flag will be gone and it will be gone soon because I just, I saw that it had become toxic, the level of toxicity around the flag on the Capitol grounds of South Carolina would simply become toxic after the murders in Charleston. Uh, nevertheless, the most impressive thing were the families of the victims stepping forward, and you just mentioned Lincoln's uh, dedication to forgiveness, uh, his second inaugural address, uh, uh, all about forgiveness, and they demonstrated that on the Friday when they confronted the killer. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, I mean, we got, a, we got ourselves here a racially motivated murder, and that man's got to be condemned, but uh, you know the, the the Nikki Haley didn't do that. The governor of South Carolina, and so she wanted that symbol gone, and good that she did. Uh, so what do you say? What you say is we've had a murder, and and uh, the only way, the only proper way to exploit that murder for political purposes is to hold up the standard that Lincoln held up, which is color doesn't have anything to do with our operation as a human being or our rights as a citizen. Now that brings us to the fourth debate, and for those who are just wandering into the middle of this, tell us where we are and how the debate goes, because this is where Lincoln makes controversial remarks about race. I can't believe how timely this is. Yeah. How, how goes the debating sequence at this point? He speaks first in this one, and that means an hour by Lincoln, then an hour and a half by Stephen Douglas, and then 30 minutes by Lincoln, and we are again using clips from the great epic um, 
redoing of the debates by David Strathern and Richard Dreyfus Strathern playing Lincoln, Dreyfus playing Douglas. Where, where are we in history in 1858, by number four? Well, so this is the first debate that where Lincoln emphasizes the, the uh, things that he said that are the most controversial and the worst. And they've, go down to, they've gone down to Charleston, Illinois, and that's Democratic ground, and not abolitionist ground, not as much as in the north of Illinois. And Douglas has been threatening all along that I'm going to take him down there and he's going to sing a different tune. He doesn't sing a different tune, and he proves that, by the way, in the next debate. But he emphasizes and starts with the most troubling things he said about it, and we should spend some time thinking about those things and talking about them, because I think that they point to something First of all, instructive for today and also magnificent. Let's let's play it then. This is David Strathern playing Abraham Lincoln as he opens the fourth Lincoln-Douglas debate with jarring words, cut number one. I will say then that I am not, nor ever have been, in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. That I am not, nor ever have been, in favor of making voters or jurors of Negroes nor of qualifying them to hold office, nor to intermarry with white people. And I will say, in addition to this, that there is a physical difference between the white and black races, which I believe will forever forbid the two races living together on terms of social and political equality. And inasmuch as they cannot so live, while they do remain together, there must be the position of superior and inferior. And I, as much as any other man, am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. I say upon this occasion, I do not perceive that because the white man is to have the superior position, the Negro should be denied everything. I do not understand that because I do not want a Negro woman for a slave, I must necessarily want her for a wife. From the crowd came cheers and laughter. My understanding is that I can just let her alone. I am now in my fiftieth year, and I certainly never have had a black woman for either a slave or a wife. So it seems to me quite possible for us to get along without making either slaves or wives of Negroes. I will add to this that I have never seen, to my knowledge, a man, woman, or child who was in favor of producing a perfect equality, social and political, between Negroes and white men. I recollect of but one distinguished instance that I ever heard of so frequently as to be entirely satisfied of its correctness, and that is the case of Judge Douglas's old friend, Colonel Richard M. Johnson. Now, Larry Arn, people will be shocked that that is Father Abraham talking. Uh, they will be shocked that he says things that, that jar and offend the sensibility of every American. But what is he saying, and why do you think it points to something better than his times would allow him to say? Well, I, uh, uh, so I think these things. I think, first of all, he does emphatically say, uh, all through these debates and, and into the Civil War, that he does not favor what he calls the social and political equality of the black man or woman. Uh, and uh, he, he, so the first thing to comment on that, it's obvious that he has to say that. Now, that doesn't prove that he doesn't mean it, but start with that. It's obvious he has to say that. Why is it obvious? Well, in order to get to the principle that 
political and social equality would be afforded to the black, black man, which after the Civil War is written into the Constitution. Uh, Lincoln won this debate. In a, he won the, the Republicans won the election of 1858. Uh, they won it overwhelmingly, but also narrowly, in a free state. And there are lots of places where you wouldn't win that state. And then this, win that debate with those with, with with just the arguments that Lincoln made, which denied that he's going to have the social and political equality of the of the black man. Um, then the war comes, and the death tolls are the highest in American history, and they are several times higher per capita than any war we ever fought. And so, a lot of water and a lot of pain had to go before anybody could stand up in public and say that they're for this thing, and Lincoln does not say that. That doesn't by himself prove that he doesn't mean what he says, but it does prove that he had to say it. Now, there's a second point, and it's an obvious mitigation, and that is all through these debates, the point on which Lincoln will never surrender is that the principles of the Declaration of Independence include people of color. And in the debates that still remain, we're going to see that Douglas takes his assertion of that to prove that he is for what he calls the social and political equality of the black. And, and, and Lincoln will not surrender that point. He repeats it every time Douglas accuses him of a contradiction. Because he says uh, they are the equal in, in their right to eat the bread with, uh, from the sweat that the, of their own faces, that they earn with the sweat of their own faces. And so Lincoln never gives up on the point that the principle of equality covers them. The third thing is... Hold on, that we're going we're to go to a break, uh, okay. and I don't, want, I don't want you to start the third point. We, this is important stuff, and uh, people need to know what Lincoln believed and why Larry and I, who are both committed to the political and social equality of all men and women, uh, do not believe this is a disqualifying scar on Lincoln's reputation, but more. Do not go anywhere, America. I'll be right back with Dr. Larry Arnn and the Hillsdale Dialogue. Hugh for Hillsdale.com. Stay tuned. 21 minutes after the hour, America, the last radio hour of the week with Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hillsdale College, Hillsdale.edu. Sign up for Imprimus, the magnificent speech digest, all of the free courses, Constitution 101, the progressive era in the Constitution, and, of course, every one of our Hillsdale Dialogue stretching back over three years to the beginning of Greece, and Homer, and to the Old Testament and the Book of Job are available at HughForHillsdale.com. Dr. Arn, we went to break, and we are meditating upon Abraham Lincoln's words at the opening of the fourth Lincoln-Douglas debate, in which he says he is not for the political and social equality of the Negro with the white, and you say he had to say that. Didn't mean he meant it, but he had to say it. Yeah, it, it doesn't prove he didn't mean it either. And so earlier talking with the very famous national program, Hugh Hewitt, I was saying <laughs> that uh, he, he had to say that, and that, however, he insists on protecting uh, the inclusion of people of color in the principles of equality announced in the Declaration of Independence and never surrenders that. And then I was coming to my third point, which is this position by Lincoln is unsatisfactory. Uh, that is to say, logically, it can't continue indefinitely, whether he knows that or not, and I believe he did know it. And the reason for that is, the Declaration of Independence says that all men are created equal and endowed uh, by their creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. If people of color are denied the right to vote, 
then they are not able to give their consent to the government. And so the point is, sooner or later, if the principle of equality is admitted to apply to people of, of color, that problem has to be faced. And the reason, and I want to go to a Douglas clip now, because it tells us by the direction that Douglas bears in on Lincoln that everything he just said is absolutely true. He knows the weakness in Lincoln's argument. Lincoln is trying to make a political argument by saying, I'm not, I'm not believing in political and social equality, and Douglas will have nothing of it because Douglas knows the truth of what you just said, Dr. Arn, where That's Lincoln right. is going. Let's play cut number three, not cut number two, cut number three. This is Richard Dreyfus recreating the fourth Lincoln-Douglas debate, speaking as Judge Douglas, then a senator from Illinois. Lincoln maintains there that the Declaration of Independence asserts that the Negro is equal to the white man, and that under divine law. And if he believes so, it was rational for him to advocate Negro citizenship, which, when allowed, puts the Negro on an equality under the law. I say to you in all frankness, gentlemen, that in my opinion... A Negro is not a citizen, cannot be, and ought not to be under the Constitution of the United States. I will not even qualify my opinion to meet the declaration of one of the judges of the Supreme Court in the Dred Scott case that a Negro descended from African parents who was imported into this country as a slave, is not a citizen and cannot be. I say that this government was established on the white basis. It was made by white men for the benefit of white men and their posterity forever, and never should be administered by any except white men. I declare that a Negro ought not to be a citizen, whether his parents were imported into this country as slaves or not, or whether or not he was born here. It does not depend upon the place a Negro's parents were born, or whether they were slaves or not, but upon the fact that he is a Negro, belonging to a race incapable of self-government, and for that reason ought not to be on an equality with white men. That is the actor Richard Dreyfus recreating, to great critical acclaim, by the way, the role of Judge Douglas in the 1858 debates. And in that passage, Larry Arn, I think he proves your point about what Lincoln was up against, and he's bearing down. This is why the dialectic reveals so much. That's right. Because, of course, it, it, it won't work. Finally, the position that, take, that Lincoln takes, uh, uh, Lincoln argues that the position that Douglas takes in the Douglas debates won't work, because in the end he says that Douglas's position is going to lead to slavery everywhere. We're going to go through him arguing that in detail in the, in the debates that follow this one. But Douglas also argues that Lincoln's position won't work, and I think Douglas is right, and I, my opinion is that Lincoln knows it. Of course, he couldn't say that he knows it, because... If you're going to admit that they're covered by the Declaration of Independence, the Declaration of Independence says that they may not be governed except by their consent. And nobody understands that document better than Lincoln. If Lincoln says that, 
the election is over. And so what Lincoln can do, and this is a point about political prudence, and I was, I was alluding to it when you asked me the question about current events. Political prudence means that you do all that you can do, and you must do all that you can do for the principle of equality and justice. But to do more might forego all opportunity to do any. And so Lincoln is very aware of that and often speaks that way. Now, can I bring it to the moment? Nikki Haley, in the, de- in the debates of last fall, uh, was asked about the Confederate flag, and she said, that's actually never come up in any of my discussions with any CEO seeking to move a company to South Carolina. And I don't think it's a part of this debate. I'm paraphrasing. And then she leads the charge, rightly so, greatly so, to remove it, because it was not prudent to do so in November last, and it was not only prudent but necessary to do so in June of this year after a horrible racist murder. Yeah, and think of the circumstances being different, right? So for no immediate cause, she lodges an insult against a lot of people who fought for that flag who were not racist or in favor of slavery. I think those people were misguided, but they were fighting for their homes. And so in in no context whatsoever to lodge an insult against them, that's one thing. But in this context, when a bunch of people have been murdered because of the color of their skin, that's a different context. And so I think she did right, surely the second time. And as for the first time, I, we, we, anybody who's thinking about this should go read Lincoln's words at the end of the war, because he wanted it to be one nation, and he wanted it to bind up its wounds. And he thought the nation dedicated to the Declaration of Independence if it stayed together and continued to prosper, would be the greatest force on earth for the equality of all. Which is why now, it's a minute to the break, we'll go to the break, I am I'm disturbed by the politicization of the issue beyond the unanimity which was quickly reached. Yeah. I, 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 I believe that that is an exploitation not designed to bring together but to divide, Larry. Do you agree with that? And, and, and one suspects that, somebody, that, that people are calling for a remedy beyond the one we've got now, which is that the law... Uh, militates against racism and punishes it when it harms somebody. And do we want more than that? Do we want uh, scouring people's consciences? Do we want shutting people up? How far do we want to go? We'll come back and talk about that after the break and the solution that Douglas thought had to flow and which Lincoln rejected in the fourth Lincoln-Douglas debate here on the Hillsdale Dialogue. Stay tuned. 34 minutes after the hour, America. It's Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn president of Hillsdale College. We are in the Hillsdale Dialogues, the last radio hour of each week, wherein we talk about the great ideas and people of the Western civilization dating back 2,500 years. And one of the greatest, Abraham Lincoln, is on stage with Stephen Douglas in the fourth of their seven debates, which we've been covering a week at a time. It's turned out to be a remarkable exercise that many of you love. And we told many of you, thanks to Dr. Arndt's student, about the remarkable number of, uh, of uh, or the remarkable availability of the recreation of these debates by David Strathern and Richard Dreyfus, and they are wonderful. Uh, by the way, another Hillsdale uh, graduate turns out to be up in Montana advising the Attorney General there, Larry Arndt. I'm hearing from them wherever I go. It's, it's yeah. Pretty, it, uh, they, I, I can't control them anymore. <laughs> they, they self-identify. <laughs> they, they may take up. over the country, and I just want everybody to know I didn't do it. <laughs> All right. Here is... Here is um, Justice Douglas and uh, Judge Douglas, and I want to go back a little bit in the debate so that we set up for the audience who are just walking in. We get new affiliates every week. 
They're arguing about whether the country and what, what the heck happened to politics, which changed overnight. Cut number two. This is Judge Douglas. Now, let me ask, how is it that since that time, so many of you Whigs have wandered from the true path marked out by Clay and carried out broad and wide by the great Webster? How is it that so many old-line Democrats have abandoned the old faith of their party and joined with abolitionism and free-soilism to overturn the platform of the old Democrats and the platform of the old Whigs. You cannot deny that since 1854 there has been a great revolution on this one question. How has it been brought about? I answer that no sooner was the sod grown green over the grave of the immortal clay, no sooner was the rose planted on the tomb of the godlike Webster, that many of the leaders of the Whig Party, such as Seward of New York and his followers, led off and attempted to abolitionize the Whig Party and transfer all your old Whigs bound hand and foot into the abolition camp. Seizing hold of the temporary excitement produced in this country by the introduction of the Nebraska Bill, the disappointed politicians in the Democratic Party, united with the disappointed politicians in the Whig Party, and endeavored to form a new party composed of all the abolitionists, of abolitionized Democrats and abolitionized Whigs, banded together in an abolition platform. Stop right there. Larry Arn, there are 14,000 people listening to this. Mm. And, I'm, uh, and, and that's Foghorn Leghorn, right? But Dreyfus tried to recapture Douglas, and Douglas is trying to create a historical narrative to trap Lincoln as a conspirator against the Union. And he uses especially one of Lincoln's heroes, Henry Clay. Um, and, and his argument goes like this. When Lincoln says the House divided cannot stand against itself, quoting scripture, he is revolutionizing and abolitionizing the country because the founders themselves built that house. And we're, Lincoln's going to give his most beautiful, explicit answer to that in the next debate. But, but uh, uh, Douglas says they did build this house divided. It was half slave and half free, and they did leave it divided like that. And, and, that, and so Lincoln is rebelling against them. And Henry Clay, when he compromised in 1820 was the main architect of the of the Missouri Compromise. He was just perpetuating the the work of the founders which Lincoln is now undoing. And so Lincoln wants uh, Douglas wants to efface the tension over slavery from the founding which resulted in this effect. One that every senior person in the founding that I can find condemned slavery as a wrong and a violation of the Declaration of Independence. And they didn't know how to get rid of it at the time, although they got rid of it in most of the Union soon after the founding. That's, uh, so, so Douglas's point is, and see, Douglas is pointing to a new way to run the Union, calling it the old way. And this new way, he thinks, will mean that we never have to fight about fundamental matters. We'll keep them local. And the, 
and the union can preside over a great area where there are widely differing practices all the time. And Lincoln shows later, in two debates from now, the contradiction that's going to come up. If, if Manifest Destiny plays out fully, and we take all or part of Mexico, because Lincoln will later ask Douglas, okay, good, but most of the people down there are people of color. You going to let them decide? And on that question, when we come back from break, we'll talk about how Lincoln is actually, even the beginning of this debate, which was so jarring, he continues to pound on the hammer of the Declaration of Independence uh, and the nail of equality. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back with Dr. Larry Arn on the Hugh Hewitt Show. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue. 44 minutes after the hour, America, it's Hugh Hewitt. Uh, Ten days have passed since a horrible massacre in the basement of Charleston Church in the middle of a prayer meeting, and we are discussing today the fourth Lincoln-Douglas debate with Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College, and it, it is interesting, 150 years later, it's 154 years later, yes, 157 years later, that these debates have amazing relevance. And what no one has remarked upon yet, Dr. Arn, and I want your, your ideas about this, is that Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, the site of the slaughter, is located on Calhoun Street. Yeah. Now, I do not believe our current media and the Democratic Party sufficiently attentive to detail to realize that they have much more politicization to make if they go after that street name than various, you know, Walmart selling of, of fireworks with a Confederate brand on it. Uh, both have their import, but the irony has not escaped me that they're missing the guy who actually menaced the Union by introducing a contrary to the Federalist, the founder's idea of what slavery meant. Uh, Calhoun is the man who, on sort of Hegelian grounds, uh, brings up brings he's the apostle of the idea, the chief theorist of the idea in American history, that uh, it would be an abomination for people of different colors to live together as equal citizens. They have evolved to be our inferiors, and we will corrupt ourselves and everything, and even them, if we let that happen. And and his idea, you know, his his disquisition on government, large parts of which we read in the Hillsdale core curriculum, um, it, it, it lays all that out powerfully. And in his Oregon speech, his speech on the Oregon bill, which was to expand the union, um, he, he is the one who really uh, gives voice most prominently to the idea that, uh, the, uh, that uh, blacks could not be equals and that and and he set the union off on this course he set the country off on the course where they had to decide and uh he was he was for leaving and they they grabbed on to calhoun repeatedly jackson denounced him but he was the vice president secretary of war secretary of treasury creative markets and his his name is on the street on which that church is located i just find it incredibly ironic you know i didn't know that hugh and let, let me say something else about calhoun Cal, calhoun was a great unionist he wanted a great nation. He was for internal improvements to bind the nation together. And so these contradictions uh, that, that show up everywhere in regard to the slavery issue and the change in opinion regarding it all stem from the introduction of new ideas in America, which ideas, by the way, are very powerful still today. And uh, help me remember, before we end, we have to talk about Lincoln's reference to Colonel Richard Johnson. In Let's go do that now, because we, we've got about six minutes, and he did bring that up, and, and, we, and I neglected to mention it. He, he scores a huge point against Douglas at that point. Yeah, and, and we have to remember in that quote that is 
that was the first quote we played. That's the most damaging thing to Lincoln's reputation to this day that he ever said. He ends it with this. Uh, I will add to this that I've never seen a man, woman, or child who is in favor of producing a perfect equality, social and political, between Negroes and white men. I recollect, I recollect but one distinguished. So remember, he's used the word perfect, and he's used the word distinguished instance of this. And that is Douglas's friend Richard Johnson. Richard Johnson, it turns out, was vice president of the United States. He was a Kentuckian, and he was a famous dualist. And that's important because he inherited a family as property that included a woman his age, a young woman, a mulatto. And he fell in love with her, and he had his children by her. And he couldn't marry her under, <coughs> excuse me, under Kentucky law. We can fix Sorry, that. I got a joke here. That's okay. We can fix that. He, he, he couldn't marry her under Kentucky law, so he changed her name to Mrs. Johnson. He couldn't leave his property to her and their children, who were quadroons, under Kentucky law, so he gave them his property before he died. And if anybody said anything about it, he shot them dead. <laughs> now, here's another I thing. didn't know that. A letter persist, uh, uh, exist, that he wrote about the death in his arms of one of their children. Ugh. And it's a poem of grief and love, and that this child was the fairest thing he ever saw. And so it's important to understand that Lincoln ends this most damaging thing he said, which I have argued he had to say, with that reference. And he calls it a distinguished instance of an attachment of a perfect kind to the principle of equality. That's an extraordinary uh, thrust of a sword that not many would get. But but what's interesting, uh, Dr. Arn, as we close this out, is that you're, you're saying this is the most damaging thing that Lincoln ever said, the mark against his record. And yet, this is the man who freed the slaves and brought about the war, which would eventually become, so that even the greatest men have to make compromises with their times. Everybody does. And and Lincoln's point about that, made so often, is that anything else than a willingness to do that, a statesmanship that preserves the principle and works on it as, as fast as practically possible, it is the only way to preserve free government and just government insofar as humans can have it. And so they're both trying to show that the road the other indicates is destruction, and they're both trying to show that theirs is the middle ground. And in the end, the distinction, I argue, comes to be this. Douglas would consign people of color to eternal second-class place, and Lincoln would not do that, nor ever admit any principle that would do it. And he always stands by the eventual citizenship. And that, and, and in citizenship comes full voting rights. I mean, that's why it took the voting rights later, act. Yeah. Later, Hugh, he stands for that. Here, he denies it, and that's important. See, because if he'd said, you know, in in the previous debate, Douglas begins by talking about how the second debate, Douglas begins by talking about how Fred Douglas, who was a friend of Lincoln's, a runaway slave, you know, twice a visitor to Hillsdale College. I'm always proud to mention had driven through that very town in a carriage driven by a white man. 
And if Lincoln gets his way, you're going to be seeing that all the time. And people don't want that. And that means that Lincoln has to deal with that public opinion. And if, you, if Lincoln is to be believed, there are, of course, always things in public opinion like that and that have to be dealt with. Dr. Larry Arn, a terrific Hillsdale Dialogue, the fifth Lincoln-Douglas debate next week. Stay tuned, America. I'll wrap up this week's Hugh Hewitt Show.